Psalm 22. Uh, for those of you who weren't here, I'm going to uh, actually give a little bit of a recap. And um, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, catch you up. But there's so much in what we've covered already in Psalm. It was, it's one of the most magnificent Psalms that there is. You know, it, it's stunning. And the more I dug into it, the more there was to, to receive of the Lord. It was just absolutely a, a stunning psalm. And it, it really opens with the first verse and it poses that, that immortal question, why hast thou forsaken me? And the rest of that psalm goes on to answer this question. And so that, that's, the, that's the outline of, of the psalm. Verse 1 is the question, why have you forsaken me? And the rest of the psalm is the answer to it. And uh, because we see in the psalm that it was God's planned uh, planned the crucifixion uh, in his foreknowledge and his predetermined counsel. Uh, he was ready to lay upon Christ the iniquity of us all. For we all actually have gone astray and uh, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Jesus came to, to be our sin bearer. And uh, I just want to pause here and just ask God's blessing upon the word and to say a, a, a welcome to each and every one of you, our visitors here. It's lovely to, to see each and every one, Mardu and, and uh, Neil and uh, Sandra, Sandra and Sandra and Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> this is welcome, lovely to see you all this morning. There's so many folk away, we've got guys online who are watching. We, we want to, can we say hello to Zoom? We haven't done that for a while. Yeah, so on the count of three, we're going to say hello, Zoomers. One, two, three. Hello, Zoomers. Hallelujah. Praise God. So um, let's just ask God's blessing upon the word. Father, we just look to you uh, because, Lord, you are the divine teacher, Holy Spirit. You are the instructor. You are the fountain of all knowledge and wisdom. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak through your word this morning, that your word would resonate in our hearts, that it would find a resting place in our lives, that it wouldn't just be a sermon, but that it would be the impact of the Holy Ghost upon our lives, bringing instruction and enlightenment. Lord, you said in your word that the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning, and we thank you for all that the song contains in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And so God determined, as Dias so fond of saying, uh, before there was a sinner, there was a savior. And this is, this is because God knew that he, he loved mankind and he knew that we, we were uh, really determined to do our own thing and we, we'd go astray. And so God's plan was to restore us and bring us back into the fold. But the moment that Jesus became our sin bearer, he became separated from his father. As he embraced our sin, that eternal fellowship with the father was broken because uh, Christ became uh, our sin offering, you know. And so he tasted death on the cross for all men so that all men could come to salvation. It's not that all men are saved, but every man has an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And there's a very big difference between the two statements. But he was forsaken so that you and I could be adopted. Uh, he died, the just, for the unjust. And he gave his life. And in fact, when you look at Psalm 20, uh, Matthew 27 and you uh, juxtapose that with, with Psalm 22, it's absolutely incredible. 
incredible, this prophecy as, as we'll go through and, and bring out uh, more this week as we are looking at it. But um, as we see in Matthew 27, the very things that, that David prophesied in Psalm 22 are actually being fulfilled right before their very eyes, and they don't recognize it. It's really a tragedy. The, the crowds there are mocking Jesus, laughing and scorning him. And the very words, listen to this, the very words spoken by the chief priests and, and, the, and the scribes are penned in Psalm 22. You know, absolutely incredible. It's magnificent detail in this prophecy. And when viewed as a whole, if you want proof of divine inspiration, look no further than Psalm 22, because you can see the foreknowledge of God contained within the, within this uh, little psalm. And so uh, it's really proof of biblical inspiration. And uh, we need to look no further than the Bible. So the death of Christ was a bit of a mystery. Remember, even the disciples didn't understand why Jesus had to die. And Peter actually rebuked the Lord because he didn't want him to go and die. So the disciples didn't understand. In fact, not many people really did. Um, but David, in Psalm 22, actually hinted um, and, and explained the, the role of the Messiah. Um, and in verse 6, he explains with a picture of the worm. And that is the, the Tola worm. And there are two words in Hebrew uh, that actually make up the word worm. Uh, for example, the word rima uh, is actually the word for worm, but it means maggots. Um, so a, a fly will lay eggs and, and, and they will hatch. Uh, and uh, the, those worms will become uh, are, uh, the rima worms. Um, this is the tola worm. It's a very different worm. It's a worm that's harvested uh, because of its red color, and it's where they eventually uh, got the red dye for the tabernacle and the high priest's garments. We looked at all that last week. But this is really, this worm is the worm that preached the gospel, and that's what we looked at uh, last week. Um, and so if you, if you haven't got it, you're only getting half a message, you should go and have a look at the, the first half on, on, on the website. But uh, it's really quite uh, quite interesting because this is um, found. This is really uh, the, the first edition of the gospel, uh, and we looked at the seven editions of the gospel uh, that it was uh, written um, uh, on tablets of stone, and, and then Jesus was the living word, and there was written in our conscience. And we looked at the seven editions of, of divine law, and this really is dealing with the first edition of divine law. And it's no wonder when you see that it's sometimes called the Messiah worm because it contains the gospel in its very life. And this was the secret of David's revelation. It was hidden in this worm. And because the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees didn't understand uh, the cocacillices, that's, that's the, the Latin name for this little worm, um, uh, and because they didn't understand that, that this worm had a prophetic message, they couldn't see the suffering Savior. They couldn't see the, the Messiah's misery. And so it was a really uh, tragic thing uh, that they missed. But this is the worm that preached the gospel. You say, how can a worm preach the gospel? Well, everything that the worm did was, it was a picture of the gospel. Um, in fact, it, it willingly attaches itself to a tree until it dies. And um, it gives its life for its children. It feeds them with its own body, like Jesus fed his disciples at the breaking of bread. Remember, they, they come, uh, and let, let me just show you the picture. Uh, we, the next one. 
There we go. This is a, a, a picture of the tree with the cocosilices, the messiah worm uh, that, that has been harvested. And you can see the red blood-like substance that stained the tree. And so th this little worm attaches itself to the tree willingly and dies there. Just as Jesus willingly laid down his life. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. And he gave his life willingly being uh, attached to the tree. And uh, so this worm... Uh, attaches itself to the tree uh, until death. It gives its life for its children, and it feeds them with his own bodies. Remember, we looked at the breaking of bread. Uh, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so it's really a picture of how Jesus feeds his children or his disciples, you and I, with the breaking of bread. And then uh, the, the worm actually covers and protects its offspring with this red blood-like substance. And it's very, it's very unpalatable. And uh, the, 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 its enemies, when it's covered with this red dye, don't want to eat it. So it's protected by, by this blood-like uh, substance. And so it's, it's really a beautiful picture of how the, the gospel is preached through this worm, how it gives its life upon the tree, it provides its life for its own body, uh, its own body with its disciples, and uh, it protects them with this red blood-like substance, just as you and I are protected with the blood of Jesus. And then we, we saw, as we came to at the end of uh, last week, while Jesus was being mocked and abused, beaten and struck, we saw it in Matthew 27, 28, that, and I don't believe it's any coincidence, but they, they, they came and they, they, they stripped Jesus and they put what color robe on, on him? Yeah. A scarlet or a red robe. And so they were marking Jesus out as Christ the King, but symbolically they were also marking him out as the crimson worm, the Torah worm, the, the, the worm that's covered in red. And so that's where we, we, we got up to uh, last week, and it was, um, it was uh, uh, a wonderful time i certainly enjoyed it so i want to carry on with psalm 22 and i want to look at verses 7 and 8 this morning so if you've got your bibles with you just uh, glance over to me with me to um verses 7 and 8 and it says this all who seek me mock me they hurl insults shaking their head he trusts in the lord let the lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him and really, this is what was taking place at the cross around Jesus' suffering. But it was written nearly a thousand years before this event actually took place. In Psalm 22, there's a thousand years difference between when David wrote and the fulfillment of these words. I find it quite, uh, it's quite staggering. So, um, so we read on from, from verses 44, uh, sorry, 41. Let's read on from 41. In the same way, the chief priests... And the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. He can't save himself. And that's exactly right. They were absolutely right. Jesus couldn't save himself because if, if Christ came down from the cross, we would be doomed. There would be no atoning sacrifice. There would be no uh, substitution, uh, substitutionary sacrifice. 
there'd be no atonement if Jesus came down from the cross. We would be dead in our sins. The plan of salvation would have failed. But Jesus was going to do something more miraculous than just come down from the cross. He was going to rise again from the dead. He was, going to, he was going to do something much more dramatic than just simply coming down from the cross. He was going to rise from the grave. Okay, And so um, it was because of that that the, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't understand the total word, the suffering and the death uh, of this word, uh, that they didn't understand Jesus' sacrifice. That little detail uh, eluded them, and so they couldn't see that, um, that Jesus was to suffer. And so uh, he couldn't save himself because he was dying in our place. He was bearing our sins. Okay. So because of the total worm, they didn't understand the mission of Christ, the mission of the Messiah. They didn't recognize him as the suffering Savior. In fact, far from being convinced that Jesus was the Messiah or the Savior, they were sure he was cursed. They were absolutely sure that he was cursed and cursed of God because they knew Deuteronomy 21 and 22. Let me say a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Look at this. Deuteronomy 21 and 22. If a man guilty of a capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For this reason, they thought, this can't be the sign. Despite the miracles, despite all of the incredible things he has, has done, this cannot be the Messiah because he's cursed of God because he's hanging on the cross. But he was—he did that on our behalf, and that's what they failed to see. That's what the Jewish people failed to see: that Jesus did this uh, uh, because uh, he loved us. He was doing this uh, to, to help us. Okay, and because Jesus went to the cross and stayed upon the cross, he died and he rose again. Because of that, Paul could write: Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Jesus was cursed so that you and I could be blessed. That was the purpose. Jesus could have come down from the cross. He was God Almighty. That would have been a very simple thing to do. But in his own planning, he determined that because he loves you and I, that he was going to make a way of escape for the sinner. For all our, our wrongdoing, our transgressions, our failures, they had to be paid for. And Jesus willingly went to the cross, just like the Tyler Wood, and was attached to the tree. He was cursed so we could be blessed. This is why Christ died on the cross. He was our substitutionary sacrifice. It really should have been you and I on the cross, shouldn't it? If we look deep within ourselves, we know the terrible things that we've done. We know that we are worthy of judgment. We know that it should be us that was crucified because we are unworthy. There's not one person here, myself included, not one person that's worthy of salvation. Man is a sinner, but by God's grace, he's redeemed us and restored us. He became our substitutionary sacrifice, our propitiation. He took our sins. He died in our place. Aren't you grateful? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So he redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
What's that? The penalty of sin. These were God's judgments. These claims have now been fully satisfied. If you look uh, back at, at Deuteronomy 28 and, and 29, you, you find the blessings and the curses of the law. And there are many, many of them. Many blessings and amazing curses. You don't want to be uh, under the law and, and uh, suffering because you are, are so cursed. And we won't have time to, to get into that this morning. But uh, I want you to see that, that because of what Jesus has done, all the curses of the law have been fully satisfied in Christ. That the blessings may become ours. The blessings of Abraham have become ours. The blessings of the Old Testament become ours. You know, in Acts 13, 39, it says, By him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So under the law, there were certain things that if you did them, there was no hope for you. There was no way back. You were taken out and you were stoned to death. There was no repentance. You know, the, 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 the terrible sins of the world, um, uh, if you embarked on some of them, they were capital of punishment and you'd be taken out and uh, put to death. But in Christ, Christ paid for your worst and most evil and vile sins. When I look and I think, God, sometimes I look back at my life and I think, God, why do you want me? When I was like that, why did you want anything to do with me? It's amazing. I'm amazed at the love, the grace, and the compassion of God that he would love those that were unlovely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Father. Because in Christ, the, 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 the judgments of the law are fully satisfied by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. You know, because we are justified, all the blessings of the Old Testament uh, I, I, and and uh, and more are found in the New Testament. Hebrews says we have a better covenant with better promises. And if you look at the promises under the Old Testament, they were wonderful. But in Christ, it's even better. Amen. 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 For there is none to help. Jesus on the cross was alone. Jesus had no one to help him at all. His father had forsaken him. Judas had betrayed him. Peter had denied him. And the disciples had deserted him. He was alone on the cross, bearing your penalty and my penalty. For our sins, he was alone. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Jesus hung upon that cross alone. He was struggling. Let's move on. Verse 12 uh, of Psalm 22. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped on me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. And when I first read that, I thought, what on earth is going on, you know? Before I went to the seminary, I, I'd read that thing. That doesn't, you know, what's he talking about? Bulls eating him. And, this, and then it was only then, as I, as I began to grow and understand more of the scriptures, that this is really a picture of spiritual warfare. This is, this is the prophet piercing the darkness and showing us what's really taking place, the spiritual warfare that, that's going on. Uh, and I'm going to get into that. But before I do that, 
I want to draw your attention to one tiny little detail that we've just read in, in, in verse 12. It's quite a staggering uh, thing. I've been saying to you, this whole psalm is about Jesus. Now, let me just read uh, verse 12 to you and see if you can see anything that relates to Jesus. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Doesn't that just scream Jesus to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not sure? <laughs> okay. Well, it actually does. And and I'll, I'll go into it. Uh, it says, uh, many bulls have beset me around. The bulls of Bashan have set me around. The, the NIV says, encircle me. Okay, and we've been saying this whole song is pointing us to Jesus Christ and that Jesus on the cross, when he uttered those words, was pointing back in time to Psalm 22. But he's saying, yeah, um, you know, they, they've encircled me. We've been saying that this is a prophetic psalm that deals with Jesus. So how? Okay. Notice the choice of words. The bulls of Bashan beset me round or encircle me. When you look at the when you look at the, the Hebrew, this it's it's the, the Hebrew word kathar. And kathar, the root of kathar means crown. And so uh, you may have seen, if you've ever been into a Jewish synagogue, or maybe you've seen it on a movie. Um, whoops. Here you go. Okay. Okay. You may have seen the scrolls, the Torah scrolls that appear uh, in, in the synagogue. This is a, a Jewish uh, scroll with its cover on. And um, you, we have the words over here um, uh, in reading from right to left as they do in Hebrew. Uh, this is uh, so. This is the, the Torah crown. Uh, so Kathar uh, Torah. So here it is. This is the words, the exact words used here in Psalm twenty-two is referring to the crown. The Holy Spirit is uh, drawing our attention uh, to this. this is the Kathar. Uh, uh, um, Torah, the crown of Torah. Okay, so it's the same word in verse 22, uh, Psalm 22. In other words, the Holy Spirit is trying to uh, draw our attention to the fact that this word in circles actually means crown. Jesus has been crowned because Jesus, the, the, Mesh the Messiah, the Meshua, um, uh, was actually on the cross and uh, was crowned with a crown of thorns. And there it is hidden in the Hebrew text in, in, in verse 12 of Psalm 22. Isn't that amazing how that points to Jesus? Okay, the exact same word. And interestingly, when Jesus on the crown, uh, 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 wearing the crown of thorns, you can't see it in here, but just above here, there, there was a plaque. And do you remember what the plaque said? The King of the Jews. And so you've got the king of the Jews wearing the crown of thorns, and it's really found hidden in Psalm 22 and verse 12. Amazing. The Holy Spirit hides these things for us to, to sort out and, and gain. So um, it's, I think it's really a tremendous blessing. So having dug out that little trinket, I want to go back to the big picture and look at the spiritual warfare. It's a glimpse of the demonic attack that's taking place. Satan and his demons are closing in. They're, they're raging and, and, and really attacking Jesus. They're venting all their hatred upon Jesus. They gape on me as a ravening and as a roaring lion. It typifies that the enemy is trying to destroy Jesus Christ. How do we know that? 
Well, do you remember 1 Peter 1, uh, 5, 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, uh, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so it's almost the identical words, and it's saying this is really the spiritual warfare that's going on. The enemy is trying to devour Jesus upon the cross. They're trying to absolutely destroy it. And, and David writes about this a thousand years before it happens. It's truly stunning. Just let's put ourselves back into, into character and into the, into the picture. The crowds are mocking and jeering Jesus. They're taunting him. The sky grows dark. Darkness covers land. Remember, he says the physical and the spiritual darkness. And above the turmoil and the commotion, uh, Jesus can hear the devils and the demons shrieking. And you can see their mixed emotions uh, and the, the triumph. It's all, all wrapped up in, as they're screaming at Jesus on the cross. The devil said, I made them sick, but you healed them. I bound them, but you set them free. I killed them, but you raised them again from the dead. You Christ. You can just see the, the hatred of him, and he thinks, I've got Jesus right where I want him, right on the cross. This is going to be the final showdown. Little bit the devil know, eh? <laughs> but, you know, he, he, the devil goes on, he says, you know, you cast out my demons. You made them walk in, in, in dry places. But I have you now on the cross. You've done your last miracle. The Father's forsaking you. The devil could sense the victory. He could taste it. It was within his grasp. Where is your power now, Jesus? Because he's taking the sins upon uh, of the sin, the sins of the world upon him. He's as weak as any man. And we go on. We begin to see in verse fifteen the picture of a crucifixion. It is stunning to think about this. Verse twelve. Many bulls have compassed me round, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as reverening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Wow. What a picture David is painting here. What a picture. He says that, that, that this person has been poured out like water. You know, one of the things that happened to you when you were on the cross is that you would sweat profusely because of the extreme agony that you, the intense pain, the unrelenting suffering and the heat as you, as you hung upon the cross. There was no place to hide. There was no shade. There was no relief. And you sweat copious amounts of water. That's why they, they thirst on the cross. But in Christ's case, remember also that the, the Roman centurion came along and, and shoved a, a, a spear in Jesus' side. And he pierced and ruptured the pericardial sac, uh, which is a sac uh, around the heart that contains fluid, mostly water and blood. Uh, and it actually separates at the point of death. And what happens is that, that when they uh, pulled out the spear, water flowed out of blood and water flowed out of Jesus' side. A pathologist will tell you that this is positive proof of the death of, of a person. Some people say, oh, Jesus didn't die. He, he recovered in the, in the cave and uh, he was able to push the stone away and escape. And that, that's the way they try and explain that the, the, the resurrection is called the splinter. It's absolute rubbish. But uh, uh, this, this is. And positive medical proof that water gushed from his sides, exactly as David said it would happen. He said, all my bones are out of joint. 
after nailing you to the cross, they, they would lay you down flat on the ground and they would have a post hole and they would lift you up. And suddenly the precocious shock of the cross being dropped into that hole would jar all your joints and bones. And it was it was known to, to pull out the, 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 the bones from the joints and the sockets. And so the, a perfect picture of what David uh, is portraying here. So uh, it, it's absolutely incredibly difficult. And after a, a prolonged period of hanging upon the cross, I mean, you could be on the cross for days. Your, your bones are out of joints, and it's just the muscles that are holding you together, and they begin to stretch and sag and, and begin to tear apart. You being excruciating agony. He goes on to say, the psalmist says, my heart is like wax. Why did he say that? Because it's not functioning properly. Jesus can't breathe on the cross. Carbon dioxide is building up in his blood. Uh, and it's his heart is racing, trying to carry what little oxygen he can get to the various parts of, it, of his body. And it's racing. And as a result of that, it, it can't cope. It starts to break down. It's melting like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels, the scriptures say. During crucifixion, there's a thin, um, a thin mesentery membrane uh, that, that attaches the intestine to the abdominal wall, um, and it begins to tear because it holds everything in place. And on the cross, this little membrane begins to tear and break down, and the organs begin to sag in the body, and the bowels are melting and collapsing. A perfect picture of, of the crucifixion that David actually comes up. He said, my tongue cleaveth to my joint. Jesus is dying of thirst. He's All this water pouring out of him. Uh, he's, on, he's on the cross. He's suffering. It's really intense. And John records that Jesus said, I thirst. This is an amazing prophecy about crucifixion. Hundreds and hundreds of years before it was invented by the Persians. Six to seven hundred years before it was invented, David is writing about it. It's absolutely incredible. It was later adopted by the Romans. Some people say it was invented by the Romans, but if you keep on digging, you'll find it was uh, invented by the Persians uh, some 400 years before the Romans adopted it. Um, but uh, it's an amazing detail. Consider how remarkable this would have been. You know, David is writing in extreme doubt, recording the conversation, the details of everything that's happening, uh, and all that the, this, this person is going through in, in really great detail. Now, that was nearly a thousand years ahead of its time. What about this for a comparison? Uh, Abraham Lincoln lived in 1860. And imagine Abraham Lincoln writing about the lunar landings in great detail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, that would be that, that, that'd be quite astounding. You know, you didn't even know that there was such a thing as a motor car, but you know, but this was a thousand years ahead into the future, and he's describing everything that would happen to a person um, upon the cross. And verse 16 goes on to say. I believe that this is one of the proofs of the inspiration of prophecy. How about you? And this really shows to me that there's a supernatural mind behind the compilation of scriptures. It, it shows inspiration. Look at verse 16. It's very interesting. It says, for dogs have compassed me, uh, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Goodness me, David didn't miss a, a detail at all. 
the dogs, uh, there's something that you need to understand that, that from Jewish culture, any non-Jewish person, any Gentile uh, was considered a dog. And who are around uh, the cross? Who's around the cross when this person is having their hands and their feet nailed? The dogs, the Romans, the Roman soldiers are piercing his hands and feet. And there it is, we find it in verse 16. Absolutely incredible. Hallelujah. It goes on to say, uh, well, let's just think about this. Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves you. You're valuable. You're amazing. And God the Father wants you, and he wants to be close to you. You know, I believe God wants to be close closer to us than we even dreamed or, or desired to be closer to him. God wants to embrace us and draw us into a deeper relationship, into a far deeper relationship than you and I could even imagine. Isn't that wonderful? And I believe that that's what the Lord wants to do for us. So uh, dogs encompass around about him. They're referring to the Romans at the cross who pierced his hands and feet. Now, he did all that because he loved us. Now, look at verse 18. He has another little trinket that, that I dug out. Uh, they said, they divided my garments and cast lots for my clothing. Stunning detail. I mean, David hasn't missed a trick. It's like he was there, saw everything, and, 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 and wrote it down. They cast lots for a seamless garment. This is mentioned in the Gospel of John, that it's a seamless, uh, seamless uh, garment. I came across this Jewish commentator in my studies, and uh, I, I thought it was really interesting, so I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, he said, uh, a seamless garment was of great value. It was really a very, very pricey thing. Uh, and you know, people think Jesus was poor, but here he's wearing a, a very valuable garment. Uh, and it's a very significant, it's very unique. And in fact, uh, any Jewish man reading uh, the scriptures um, and familiar with Jewish law, the writings and the traditions, uh, because you know the Jews don't just read the scriptures; they have the, they have the, the Mishnah and all the the other uh, the writings and the traditions that they have. Uh, they recognize that there was only one other person in history who ever wore a seamless garment. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so who was that person? Well, it, it, this is not written in, in our scriptures, but it's written in the Jewish traditions and in their writings. It says the only other person who wore a seamless garment was Moses. Moses was the only other person. And this is recorded in their writings and their traditions. The gospel writer is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the new Moses. What did Jesus and Moses have in common? Well, they both performed mighty signs and wonders, miracles. Remember the ten plagues that came down upon Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, bringing forth water from the rock. Jesus comes along and does miracles without number. And so he's saying, hey, this is pointing us to, to Jesus Christ. Any Jewish man reading this understands that there's only one person uh, in history besides Jesus Christ who is recorded as having a seamless garment, and that was Moses. And so they're trying to draw, draw attention to the fact that Jesus is the new Moses. What did Moses actually prophesy? He said that God would send them a prophet just like me, a man of miracles. So the only two people in the writings of the Jewish uh, uh, tradition uh, who wore seamless garment were Moses and Jesus. They linked together. And David said they will cast lots 
for my clothing. Amazing detail. I just love I, I love the richness of the word. I mean, it just it just keeps on opening up. The more you dig, the more you find it. It just um, I, I hope you're enjoying this as much as, much as I am. Um, so let's look at uh, uh, it, it's really quite interesting because at this point uh, you would think that what normally happens in the Psalms uh, is you would have a a, a psalm of lament. Uh, you know, you're down and you're depressed. And, uh, you know, you think, where is God? Why am I going through this? That'd be a psalm of lament. Uh, or you have a psalm of praise. Uh, you know, hey, God, God's doing great things in my life. And it's very unusual that you ever have a psalm of lament and praise together. And so this, this Psalm 22 is quite unique in that, in that aspect. Because if you go down uh, to verse 22 and verse 23, um, the whole tone of the psalm is changing. He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel. Do you notice how the whole tone has changed? When this is uh, what, what accounts for the sudden and dramatic change uh, in, in the style of the of this song? I'll tell you. It's the resurrection. Amen. He's talked about Jesus dying upon the cross. His hands and his feet being pierced. And now he's risen from the dead. And he said, man, we shall praise him. You know, we declare unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. You know, we can praise God for the resurrection. Can we not? Praise God. Some of us can anyway. It would be nice if the rest of you didn't see. Hallelujah. But, you know, that's that's really what's happening here. And he says, I'll declare uh, your your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. Okay. Why? Because of the resurrection. He has risen. Hallelujah. You know, we don't serve just a, a, a relic. We serve a risen Lord, somebody who defeated death, hell, and the grave, who's risen again, who's alive now forevermore. Hallelujah. Colossians 2.15 says, He has spoiled principalities and powers, showing them openly, triumphing over them. And the powers of darkness have been destroyed by Jesus on the cross. The devil thought he had Jesus just where he wanted him. But three days later, he rose again from the grave and rose triumphant and became the savior of the world. Death, hell, and the grave were conquered. The powers and the principalities of every demon in hell, even the devil himself. The psalmist says in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Who are his brethren? They are the disciples. And in the midst of the congregation, who would that be? The Jewish people. Will I praise thee? Verse 23. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he has not despised, nor ignored the, afflicted, uh, the affliction of the afflicted, nor hath he hid his face from him when he cried unto him. He heard. Hallelujah. Jesus has risen from the dead triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And now the psalmist is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to tell uh, everybody, I'm going to tell your disciples, and I'm going to tell the Jewish congregation, you know, we need to glorify the Lord for what he's done, you know. It's an extraordinary thing, rising from the dead. It doesn't happen every day. <laughs> hallelujah. Okay. So, hallelujah. Jesus is now far above all principalities and powers and might and 
and dominion in every name that can be named in this world and the next because he's risen again from the dead. From the dead. Hallelujah. Psalm 22, verse 25. My praise shall be in the great congregation. Well, what is the great congregation? It's around the world. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Did you notice the escalation that I've just read out to you? I don't know if you noticed that it was first of all to the disciples, then to the Jewish people, and now to the great congregation. It's a transition because of the resurrection, and now because of the resurrection, the, the, the word is going out uh, to the disciples, to the Jewish people, and now to the uttermost parts of the earth, Amen. that Jesus is alive, he is risen and triumphed over death and the hell. Hallelujah. You know, it's speaking about this progression. It's the same progression that we find in Psalm 22. You also find a similar progression in Acts 1.8. When, when Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of New Zealand. No, sorry, the end of the world. <laughs> Even New Zealand shall hear about the great story of the resurrection of God. Hallelujah. And this is what's happening here. Hallelujah. This is not um, uh, David. It's not about David. He's talking about this person that was crucified. And, you know, there are now something like 2.2 billion people in the world that claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The word has gone out to the ends of the earth, just as David said it would a thousand years before Christ. Um, he foresaw it all. This is, uh, uh, as we bring this to a close, I've got one final little nugget that I want to share with you. Uh, this is not David, obviously, this is the Messiah. All the ends of the word shall remember. What shall they remember? Remember that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And they remember the resurrection. They remember the gospel. And the Bible says they will worship him. Hallelujah. Psalm, uh, verse 31 of our psalm, the last verse says, They will proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn. For he has Hallelujah. He's done it. Hallelujah. He's risen. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, very interesting. That's speaking about you and I. Did you know that you were in the Bible? David foresaw you back in, in Psalm 22. said, do people yet unborn? And should the, the Lord tarry? It'll be for our children and our children who are still to be born yet. Perfectly rendered uh, in the scripture. David's writing was amazing. I want to give you one little nugget as I close this morning. Uh, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he was risen again from the dead. When a person dies, uh, this is what happens when you watch too many police stories on, on TV. Uh, you, you, when, when they die, the blood pools uh, at the lowest point in their body. And, uh, and it's, it's called lividity. I'm sure you've got, if you watch any police programs, you'll, you'll know about lividity. And it's where, where the blood pools at the, at the point of death, uh, the, at the lowest point, of your body, the blood pools, and it's like a bruising because you can see the blood coming through, uh, and it's known in lividity. And this is how many of the police and medical examiners can tell if the body has been tampered with because of the lividity. The bruising is not at the lowest point uh, on the body. They know that the body has been tampered with. It's been moved, and it probably wasn't killed there. That's how they determine those facts. Very interesting. Jesus was what? He was crucified in the upright position. So where would the lowest point of his body be? Where would the lividity be? 
And he's, yes, in his feet, absolutely. absolutely. That's the lowest point of his body. In fact, if you went to the cross and, and could look, you would see the bruising uh, and, and the pooling of the blood around about his feet. Do you remember the first prophecy in the Bible in Genesis? God is speaking to the devil and he says, he will crush your head and he will bruise your feet. Hallelujah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? This is all wrapped up in Psalm 22. God is saying, this is a powerful preparation that the scriptures are inspired that David knew hundreds and hundreds of years, even a thousand years before him. He paints this picture of Jesus upon the cross and how his death and resurrection are going to affect the entire world. So we bow heads in the word of prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for the amazing word that uh, you've hidden in the scriptures. Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, where else shall we turn but to the scriptures, Lord, that open our understanding and give us insight. And so, Father, we thank you that you are willing to go to the cross and die for us. We thank you, Lord, that though our sins were as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Lord, though, though we failed you so many times, Lord, there is forgiveness and mercy and redemption in the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you that, that this morning as we consider our lives and we consider our failures. Lord, we, we want to consider your sacrifice, your propitiation, that you took our sins upon yourself. You took our punishment and died in our place that we could be blessed, that we could be redeemed, that we could be restored to the Father, that we could be brought near and have fellowship and daily communion with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you, you've given us insight that we might rest assuredly on the scriptures, knowing that your word is truth. And so, Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters right now while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you have a need in your life, whatever that need is, God has promised to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. I just want to take a, a, a moment more of your time and say, if you have a need, I'm not asking you what that need is, that's between you and God. But if you have a, a need that you would like prayer for, I'm just going to ask if you would raise your hand. And let me say, I'm raising my hand uh, because I have a need in my life. And I, I hope that you will pray for me and I'll, I'll pray for, for those that are raising their hands. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. If you have any need at all, hallelujah. Thank you. Let's just pray for one another. Lord, you see those who have, have called out to you and said, Lord, we have a need. Lord, sometimes the needs are so great we, we cannot hope to overcome them. But Lord, you said, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And Lord, today we cry out on behalf of our brothers and sisters. We cry out, Lord, for that need to be met. You know every hair upon their head. You know every thought in the mind, every word upon their tongue before they speak it. Lord, you know what's going on. And so we pray, Lord, that those needs would be met now in Jesus' name. We release our faith and say, Lord, these needs are met. Lord, because of the finished work of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord. We receive that healing, Lord. Help us to stop worrying. Help us to stop stressing over our problems. 
and to trust that from this moment on, Lord, that you've taken it, that you are in control and that you will provide all our needs according to your riches. And so, Lord, just bless each and every one of us this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Praise God. The Lord bless you. Praise God. Okay. Let me give you the announcements this week. Hallelujah. Betty, are we okay for the pre meeting of Thursday? Uh, Thursday, half past seven. And Amen. David's back. I hope you pray that you can come and join us. Um, been having some lovely moves on the spirit. Um, one thought that I, I would like to um, just say, Annette, the, those words that you've read forward are so amazing. If you, if you keep them in a book, yeah, it, it'd be lovely if you could uh, if you could 